0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 43. After Hours with Carolyn Curtis. Welcome everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where Matt, Andrew and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. However, today is a Thursday, and it's therefore an After Hours episode. Today, we're talking to Carolyn Curtis about a book which she co-edited with Dr. Mary Pomeroy-Key called Women and C.S. Lewis. Carolyn Curtis holds a Bachelor of Journalism degree from the University of Texas at Austin and a Master of Arts degree in Communication from the Stephen F. Austin State University. She's taught journalism at college and been a speaker at numerous conferences. She has reported from Daily Newsrooms and from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. She's worked in communication management for Fortune 50 companies and at domestic corporate headquarters for two major church denominations. Carolyn is the author and collaborator of seven books, and today she's here to talk to us about a book which she co-edited called Women and C.S. Lewis, What His Life and Literature Reveal for Today's Culture. Carolyn Curtis, welcome to Pints with Jack.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be with you.
0: So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show, but each episode we share a quote, a drink and a toast. And for the quote of the week, I thought I'd share the epitaph which C.S. Lewis wrote for his wife, Joy. Here the whole world, stars, water, air and field and forest as they were, reflected in a single mind, like cast off clothes was left behind in ashes, yet with hopes that she reborn from holy poverty in Lenten lands hereafter may rescue them on her easter day the next thing we've got is our drink of the week and today i'm getting back to my yorkshire roots with a nice cup of yorkshire gold carolyn are you drinking anything
1: i actually have two things here i um i have a cup of tea it's pg tips are you familiar with that brand
0: yes it's a very solid brand
1: my brother tom gave me that for christmas and um, i understand it's quite popular and uh country that I've been to nine times because I love the English people and I love England itself, so I'm having that, but I'm also having just a plain glass of water because I happen to be pretty serious asthmatic, and (laughs) I'm one of those people that even if I'm standing at a podium speaking to a lot of people, I'm carrying one of those little water bottles, those plastic water bottles, because I occasionally have to slurp a little water in the middle of something, but uh, I hope it doesn't happen today.
0: Well, what we'll do with our drinks is toast a gold-level Patreon supporter. And since we don't actually have any new Patreon supporters this week, I thought we would toast all of the 30 or so writers who contributed to your book, since they were an integral part of it.
1: Oh my goodness, we couldn't have had the book without them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So to everyone who contributed to this book, thank you for your words, by which you've helped us come to know Jack better. May you always continue to shine a light where it's needed. Cheers. Cheers. So, Carolyn, I like to begin most interviews by finding out where our guests first came upon Lewis. Uh, well, What was your story?
1: I um, really began reading Lewis, I would say, when I was in my 20s in graduate school. And uh, although my schooling was in journalism, uh, it didn't really have anything to do with Lewis, but that happened to be the time period. But, you know, I really have to say that I didn't appreciate him until I had been, you know, had a lot more life experience, just plain life experience. Um, He's so deep and so interesting and uh, really so relevant that... um, it probably wasn't until, uh, you know, a few dark nights of the soul had been in my life and that kind of thing. And I was, uh, had, you know, been through lots more life experience and uh, was maybe even as late as my 40s or something when I really, really began to get into him in a bigger way. And then finally, uh, just turned a huge corner when I um, went to England and actually stayed at the Counts for the first time. I've I've been there several times and this first time I I uh, stayed at the Kilns. I was doing something with the C.S. Lewis Foundation. They were sponsoring a um, seminar that I attended, and um, that actually was just uh, it just was a life-changing experience for me. And it, it's really where the inception of the of the book started.
0: And that's a coming together of both your interest in Lewis and also your background in journalism and literature. Would you mind us filling in a few of the details for our listeners to uh, understand your background coming to this book?
1: Okay, you mean uh, my background as a writer and a journalist and that kind of thing? Um, Thank you for asking. I um, had what I just consider to be a wonderfully fun interesting career, and um, the part that people usually want to hear the most about are my years on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., because, uh, you know, that's a wild and crazy place, but uh, before I even got there, I had, I had worked in several companies. When you have journalism degrees, of course, you, you also can work in uh, corporate you know settings, and I was with several of those. I even taught journalism for a while at a college. I uh, had done uh, work with uh, church denominations at their, you know, corporate headquarters and uh, that kind of thing. So, but when I got to Washington D.C., oh my goodness. Um, it, I just yeah you know, I don't even know where to begin with that. I it, <laughs> it's a the years that I was there, just to kind of uh, tell you the four administrations i I did not work for the administrations. you understand? I was a regular working journalist on the hill,, uh, but it was the last of Carter, um, Reagan, Bush one, and the two Clinton administrations. So those were the that's the time period.
0: Wonderful. And you were sort of put on the map through an article in Sports Illustrated. Is that correct?
1: That's a crow. you want me to tell that? That is a fun story. Okay, I'll do that. I uh, was asked by a group of, um, well, lobbyists is what they really were. And I came to learn uh, that uh, lobbyists are not the kind of you know bad, horrible people I had really sort of thought. And maybe some of your listeners may have that idea. They're Uh, just regular people who are trying to uh, support the industry that, you know, they work for. And this was during, it was during the Reagan administration that that, um, they were reauthorizing through Congress as has to be done every X number of years, the clean air act and the clean water act. So bills are going through and, you know, there's a lot of discussion about all that. And um, this consortium of, of, you know, of a group of people uh, that represented these industries hired me to write a book on, of all things, acid rain, (laughs) because there was, you know, some evidence and some thought, and and some of the thought disagreed with this, that uh, acid rain was causing uh, the rivers and the streams and the lakes and even the Chesapeake Bay and places like that to be polluted. And, uh, of course, you know, there were different points of view on that, frankly. So um, I remember that the person who uh, was the publisher of the book described me as a research journalist. And I just thought to myself, gosh, is there any other kind of journalist when you think about <laughs> it? <laughs> but so I researched and, you know, of course, interviewed just all these people that were uh, scientists and and engineers and so forth, and this uh, this little book came out, which is really very obscure, but it got a lot of coverage, and it was called uh, "What We Know About Acid Rain." I guess it got passed around Capitol Hill, and one day I was got a call on the phone uh, from Sports Illustrated magazine. Well, they were doing this huge article in fact it was a cover story uh called an american tragedy i understand people can still get it online and it was all about that issue because of sports fishing i mean the tie-in of course was using the lakes and rivers and so forth for sports fishing so um they wanted to interview me and use some quotes and uh, along with some other people's quotes obviously and but the part that was just so funny to me is they wanted to photograph me because these were the days that you didn't see a lot of women in Sports Illustrated unless they were in a swimsuit. (laughs) But I was in a dress for success business suit for women in my photo in Sports Illustrated. And then they had about a column and a half of quotes for me. And but that kind of put me on the map, you know, on the hill in terms of being someone that I could, you know, who could come up with different kinds of writing and so forth. I mean, you could, you could have a conversation like that with someone over a cup of coffee and, and just kind of right away, they would think, okay, you're the one to write this or write that or cover this or cover that. And, uh, it, it was just a fun, crazy event. And, um, so that happened. <laughs> I still have my copy of the issue. I wish I'd bought several, <laughs>
0: Well, let's talk about your most recent book, which is Women and C.S. Lewis What His Life and Literature Reveal for Today's Culture. Now, I first came across this book when I was at a Lewis conference in LA. And I actually met your co editor, Dr. Mary Pomeroy Key, got her to sign a a copy of the book for my wife, then girlfriend, Marie. And uh, I was really happy to see that this book existed. And it was really lovely to see such a range of voices. Responding to this question about women and C.S. Lewis. That was a while ago, but as listeners will know, I'm an avid audiobook listener. And so it was with great joy that just a few weeks ago, I noticed Audible added an audio version of your book. Yes. How did that come about?
1: Oh, my goodness. I That was a complete surprise. I, I mean, first of all, just to explain a little bit about the publication of it, it's it's published in Oxford. Uh, at a publishing house with this fabulous name for anybody you know dealing with CS Lewis Lion Hudson Publishing Company. In fact, it shares the building with OUP, you know, and, and that's a, that's a real cool part of it. But uh suddenly I was just on christianbook.com one day, uh, just literally a few months ago, and I discovered that it had become an audiobook. So I checked with my longtime literary agent to see if he knew anything about it he had no idea and evidently they had just decided <laughs> to do that so of course i was thrilled and i ordered a copy and um and in fact i was just listening to it before we started to just kind of get my head around it and um it's it's just it's it's just one of those serendipitous things that i ran across as i say on christianbook.com one day and ordered and it's it's very high quality that's uh beautifully done has the same cover that uh, is is actually a photograph that uh, we got from Doug Gresham that he took himself of his mother and stepfather.
0: It blows my mind that somebody would put out an audiobook and not actually contact the author. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I listen. I I was delightfully surprised. You know, I did kind of uh, you know scratch my head about that a little bit, but that's okay. That's that's I mean, the book has been we knew the book was getting traction, as they say. Uh, it's you know, there's been lots of invitations to speak on it. Uh, we get a lot of good feedback and so forth. So it wasn't a complete surprise because that's, you know, another medium. I mean, people like to listen to books in their car. Um, I have a Bose uh, that I listen to in, in my kitchen, for example, and I can, you know, pop in the little CDs. And so it's it's a lovely idea.
0: It was also very serendipitously timed, because recently I've listened to several other podcasts that have been talking about Lewis, and very freely and very liberally throwing out around words like problematic, sexist, and misogynist. Now, over the course of listening to some of these episodes, I would often notice that the people saying these things weren't actually that familiar with Lewis's life, generally unaware of his larger corpus and also just didn't read his works particularly carefully, uh, instead preferring to import their own baggage into the text instead. But I was wondering what the genesis of this book was. Was it in response to hearing similar sorts of criticisms?
1: Okay, that's an interesting story too, and it really has to do with that time I stayed at the kilns that I mentioned. Um, I was just overhearing a couple of men who were attending the seminar just like I was, Uh, And they were kind of gossiping, you know, about Lewis. And I I knew they loved Lewis because, you know, they had come come there just like I had. And uh, and I'd been uh, meeting them, you know, during the course of the seminar. But they were just standing there saying, have you heard that? Have you heard that? And, you know, they were just so... You know a journalist has a thing called a nose for news, and that is actually a thing. Let me assure you <laughs> it is a thing and uh, I sort of butted into their conversation and I said, "What are you talking about?" Because I immediately thought of probably the same thing many of your listeners you know think of, which is uh of course that he married Joy, who is just brilliant off the charts, just exactly the kind of woman that a guy who's a sexist would run from, and I thought about you know examples like Lucy, the little girl uh, of four children he could you know he could pick to be the one to recognize who Aslan was uh, he picks the one of the girls uh and just on and on and on and on, I could just think immediately, and i th- I just realized that this was something that needed to be followed up on because I had seen. So much in my journalism work, I had been just noticing over, you know, a long period of time that the world was becoming so much more secular. And one of the cleverest tricks (laughs) in promoting that kind of secular, you know, uh, uh, anti-Christian culture is to target a guy like C.S. Lewis, who is just so well known for that. I mean, even though you see the names of his books on you know, the the uh, list of the bestsellers in Britain and in, and in America, of course, uh, you still realize that some of those people are probably snickering and thinking that, you know, if, if they believe those rumors. And I just I couldn't sit still without investigating this. And, um, I, you know, so I did some sort of investigative reporting, I guess you would say. But I do you mind if I go on and explain how I decided to do it in a little different way than, okay, I, I'd no, like to be totally able to do this? It's a little different. Um, instead of the kind of book where a journalist would um, say, uh, David Bates, so what do you think about C.S. Lewis's attitudes toward girls and women? You know, And you give me sentence after sentence after sentence and I quote you in uh, paragraph after paragraph, hopefully, uh, through a book, but the book is written in my voice, if you see what I'm saying. I'm, I'm seen as as the writer of it. I didn't want to do that. I, I just, I mean, I've done that in other books, of course, but um, I wanted this to be something, I wanted it to, to do several things. I wanted it to, to kind of allow newer Lewis people who may have heard something like that and and been you know turned off by it of course which I would think they should be if they really believed it I wanted them to learn the scholars learn the people who were really authorities on Lewis and I wanted to find out who they were and uh, so I this was an idea that I just saw as as working much better for a structure of the book, was to have the people write individual chapters. Now, I would put together, uh, you know, chapter uh, groupings under uh, categories so that there would be uh, sections uh, so that the people could um, just go off and explain what it was that they... Uh, Knew about this that would refute this. Of course, I had to find people that agreed with it and and, uh, Just about everyone that is a scholar a real true scholar on Lewis agreed that he was absolutely not a sexist that he uh, he took the Lord's point of view on uh, You know on women. I mean he was a product of his time Of course, there's there's that but uh, he still saw women as fellow servants in the kingdom just like he was and he he really uh, He was just very enlightened But I also wanted these chapters to have biographies of these writers so that these newer people that I thought would be coming to Lewis because of things like Narnia, but who would have maybe been turned off because of this crazy rumor that seemed to be going around, um, I wanted them to really get to know, you know, the people that were doing the writing. That was how it it kind of, uh, you know, wound up. And, and frankly, one of my big jobs was just kind of keeping the people in their lanes. I mean, not everyone could talk about Joy or Lucy or, you know, some of the obvious things like that. And um, uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful project. I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. And um, I'm kind of itching to do something else now. <laughs> we'll see.
0: I'll definitely say I really liked the little bios at the end of each chapter and the inclusion of a picture of of the person speaking. Because particularly when you're reading a book where you have 30 or so voices, it's very easy for them all just to blur into one unless you've got a picture to attach it to. But let's actually talk about some of the contributors because it was what I noticed when I first looked at the table of contents of the book. There's a real mix of people. There were a lot of scholarly names that I knew, people like Dr. Michael Ward, and there were, there were other people that I wasn't so familiar with. And I mean, you were clearly scraping the bottom of the barrel because I noticed the name Andrew Lazo included there. Oh, <laughs> yes. Andrew
1: Lazo. A wild man if there ever was one. Gosh, he did a great job. He did a great job. He really did. He, uh, he tackled Till We Have Faces.
0: Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> We're going to have to have to pause for the collective gasp of all of our listeners. <laughs>
1: oh, yes. And will he please, 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 please finish his big project, the book, until we have faces. Please, Andrew, if you're listening, do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I may as well, I've got a fun story about Andrew. Can I bring that up? Because I invited someone else to be in the book that...
0: Ah, he, yes, I heard uh, about this. Uh, please, yes, please please tell the people who who else was on this book.
1: Oh, yes. Well, there's a lot of other people. I'll get into that in a minute. But let me tell you a fun story uh, that'll, um, just, uh, just to be clever. And it happened, uh, just, just about like this. Of course, I was invited then to be on radio programs and I insisted that the other people. I mean, the real, the real, you know, writers of this book are all of these many people who agreed to do this. I mean, uh, really, my role and 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 Mary Pomeroy Key was a great help. Also, I'm so grateful that she decided to join me. And I I would recommend, by the way, sometime that you do an interview with her about her work with the C.S. Lewis uh, Study Center. She's the director of that. It's in Northfield, Massachusetts. I, I think your listeners would love to hear about that. But I was I was really doing the editing of the chapters and so forth. And I had come to know the people so much better if they weren't already friends of mine. And I wanted them to be on the radio, too. I mean, especially if they weren't, you know, like an Alistair McGrath or a Randy Alcorn or people like that, who, who by the way, it's, it's kind of funny, sometimes the bigger the name, the easier they really are to deal with. I mean, those guys and several others that are in the book were just fabulously wonderful to, you know, they'd say, oh, just do whatever you want with my, what I'm sending you. Uh, Let me see it when it's finished, if you don't mind, you know, but just very casual about it. But so anyway, I invited uh, several other people. There There were a number of these radio interviews. And in one of them, I invited Andrew to be on it and a woman named Kristen Ditchfield. Well, little did I know that Andrew was paying close attention to what Kristen was saying, and I wouldn't have been able to tell this because if you know what a wild man he is, he was texting me during the whole thing. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to pay attention to the woman who's in Tucson, Arizona, interviewing us. And she was kind of looking to me as the master of ceremonies, you know, in terms of, you know, saying, well, uh, Andrew, what do you say about that? Or Kristen, why don't you pipe up and say something and so forth? And, um, and the next thing I know, and it wasn't too long later, it was, you know, a little bit, a, certainly a, proper amount of time, uh, Andrew and Kristen came to me at an event that Kristen and I go to usually, and, uh, they announced they were going to get married. They had never even heard of each other before they were on this radio interview with me and they did. And so now her name is incorrect in the book. It is simply Kristen Ditchfield. And I guess we're going to have to put out a whole other edition that says Kristen Ditchfield Lazzo.
0: <laughs> that is really wonderful it's a good way to find a wife co-author a book
1: yeah well i mean uh you're a married man you understand that process so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah their their engagement picture actually is the cutest thing it shows them peeking over the book uh at each other you know looking at each other and the book is open so i you know i'm very happy that they provided that
0: <laughs> that is adorable <laughs> i'm gonna have support. to track that down so you've got all of these different authors as Mm -hmm. editor and co-editor you are trying to wrangle them all what was your target audience for this book was there a particular kind of person that you had in mind because i noticed that there's a real popular tone it is really readable you have (laughs) top-notch scholars on here but i can understand what they're saying
1: (laughs) Oh, good for you. And thanks for using the word wrangle since I live in Texas. You know, that's a good uh, <laughs> Texas You're welcome. <laughs> One of the things I really, really wanted to do was have the book be in popular voice. Uh, the popular voice, which uh, you recognized when we had our little natter <laughs> uh, before this even started, is, is something that does not use the heavy duty uh it doesn't overuse all of the uh footnoting and, and that kind of thing. It's it's kind of woven in. I mean several people really did a great, great job of that. I um Don W. King when he wrote about um why did Lewis marry Joy Davidman rather than Ruth Pitter. He's one of the guys who really caught the popular voice. And uh several other people that just um you know just did such a great job with it. Uh, Crystal Heard did. She uh she wrote on flora and uh this is the kind of writing where you would if if you're supposed to talk about flora who is of course lewis's mother you would stick to that subject but we decided the thing to do is to admit right up front that it it does take two people to raise a child ideally Mm -hmm. and so albert is (laughs) is very much in the chapter as well. I mean, he's he's not ignored, whereas, you know, in maybe a more scholarly voice, you would perhaps leave out that or something because you'd have to be just so focused. And like so many of the people who were in this book, they they admitted to me they really loved, you know, writing in the popular voice instead of the scholarly voice, because it just was fun to them. I, I can't tell you how many emails I got back from people saying, wow, I'm really glad you turned me loose in this voice, you know. And um, But the real reason for that is I wanted this to be accessible to these people who are just plain fans of C.S. Lewis. Um, I mean, he has been dead for quite a few years now, and it's possible that his popularity could wane. And now this explaining about him as a non-sexist, non-misogynist does not really have to do specifically with the women's movement. It certainly didn't have anything to do with like the Me Too movement or some of those things that have been around recently because nobody was accusing him of, you know, any of that kind of behavior. But I realized that when people open books that are just plain fans and they see tons of, you know, footnoting and just, just that kind of thing where the writer is not really owning their own opinion i mean they just feel like they always have to say according to so and so you know i was influenced to think this and that and the other so it that's that was really one of my goals was to get at those just regular readers who might have turned away from c.s lewis and missed you know the the joy let's say (laughs) of all that he's written
0: so at this point it might be an idea to talk through the book a little bit When people open it up, they'll see it's divided into a number of sections, as you mentioned, uh, five sections talking about Lewis, the man, the fiction author, the poet, the influencer and the mentor. Uh, What do you cover in each of these sections? And if you could maybe give us uh, a few tidbits and a few teasers of what listeners will discover when they open your book.
1: Sure, I I won't try to mention every single one of the um, people that are in the book. Uh, you'll they'll they'll find that out. They're they are people who are in many cases well known, but in several cases they're newer newer people that the um, readers will not be familiar with. And I really specifically wanted to bring those people in so that they would uh, just have a chance to opine on this themselves, whether they're well known or not. But uh, for example, Crystal Hurd talks about. His mother, Flora, who, as people know, uh, was a very brilliant woman, a graduate of Belfast University and the study of math and logics. And, uh, you know, I mean, a woman who studied something like mathematics is uh, not exactly someone who's going to raise a son who would turn out to be a sexist. So uh, there's a good data point right there for our premise.
0: Although she did also manage to produce a son that wasn't very good at mathematics.
1: <laughs> well, that's good, yes. Oh, so, golly, he barely got into Oxford, you know. He, uh, that, that's absolutely the truth. But she, uh, Crystal Heard did um, address also Albert. We decided that we ought to take the point of view, which, which is a natural point of view, I think, that it certainly is uh, in an ideal world. Uh, two parents who raise a child, and Albert um, you know, certainly had a great influence, too. So let me just uh, dip through a few of these. It was Lyle Dorsett who did the uh, the actual chapter on joy. Um, Paul McCuster, McCusker, I think I mispronounced his name first time, did the one on Mrs. Moore. And he did not, um, you know, uh, avoid some of the controversial things about that at all. He, uh, he explains that in, uh, I think, brilliantly and uh, does a great job. Don W. King does one on, uh, he calls it Fire and Ice. Why did Lewis marry Joy Davidman rather than Ruth Pitter? Ruth Pitter, of course, was a great poet. He was very influenced. Lewis was very influenced by her. She was kind of his mentor. Both of the Downings are in the book, and uh, Crystal Downing did the first one that is on Dorothy L. Sayers, one of Lewis's uh, best friends. And then a, a little bit lesser known, uh, what I like to call a newer voice, Casey Massenti, did one later in the book, also on uh, Dorothy L. Sayers. Uh, we we mixed in several people that are slightly lesser known people. I mean, you know, just uh, uh, maybe haven't published a book yet, but are, are very opinionated and uh, well-respected on their on their knowledge. Uh Alistair McGrath, oh my goodness, he showed up in spades. And if <laughs> you know that expression, um, he uh, did the one on the inklings and Lewis's blindness to gender. He was absolutely a delight to deal with, and um he just uh really explained why the inklings uh you know did not have women and and yet how Lewis was known to be blind to gender. I'll just, I I really encourage people to read that one. Uh, Colin Durier, I have to tell you, he gets the award for the best chapter title. His <laughs> <it> CS, <laughs> huh? You want to hear it? It's CS yes. C. Lewis and the friends who apparently couldn't really have been his friends, but actually were. <laughs> and he, <laughs> um, he just listed all of these women who, uh, you know, who were in some way influential to Lewis, but were just friends that uh, in some cases they're kind of well-known people and in other cases they're not. And he does, uh, you know, several paragraphs on each one. In the uh, second section, of course, we have Devin Brown who uh, talks about the Chronicles of Narnia. He's very uh, well-known as an uh, you know an authority on Narnia, but he actually names the names of these people who said that Lewis could have been a sexist in K including JK Rowling who uh, you know is the person who came up with the great wizard and and always gives Lewis uh, a lot of credit for influencing her and I couldn't imagine that she among you know the others would have done that but anyway she did so um, Stephen L. Moore, who is the uh, president of the CS Lewis Foundation now is uh, the one who did, the Abolition of Woman is the name of his. Cleve, huh? <laughs> Isn't that good? Yes. Gender and Hierarchy in uh, Lewis's Space Trilogy. Uh, Dr. Joy Jordan Lake does a good one um, where she uh, talks about the great divorce. Uh, David C. Downing, The Pilgrim's Paradox, where he talks about Pilgrim's re- regress. Uh, We have Andrew Lazo on Till We Have Faces, The Four Loves, and some other works he brings in. And then we have three poets in a section on poetry, a man named Brad Davis, uh, another slightly newer voice, a woman named Kelly Belmonte, and a man that everyone who knows C.S. Lewis uh, knows and loves, uh, Reverend Dr. Malcolm Geit of Cambridge University. In section four, we call that Lewis the Influencer, how his life and literature impact the 21st century discussion about women. Um, people must read a wonderful chapter by Dr. Monica Hilder. Of, uh, she's uh, at a university in Canada, and she just really opens this up with, uh, she's very well known for her writings on his, his work with women or his attitudes toward women. And she basically comes right out and says, it is not Lewis who's sexist. We are. <laughs> Love that. And um, Dr. Um, Mary Poplin and Brett McCracken and um, Reverend Dr. Jeanette Sears, who was the uh, first uh, woman, I believe, uh, ordained as a priest in England. And she talks about, for example, uh, well, she she respectfully disagrees on Lewis's uh, famous essay on women as priests. So there's lots of points of view over here, and uh, and in fact, here's an opposing point of view to that one. Kathy Keller, who is also known as (laughs) Mrs. Tim Keller, I I hate to ever introduce a woman by her husband's name, but in this (laughs) case, I think I'll go ahead and do so, and I think Kathy would agree with that, another delightful person to deal with.
0: You could um, maybe introduce her as C.S. Lewis's pen friend, Kathy Keller.
1: Yes, yes. She was a pen pal <laughs> to Lewis. She was one of the children who, who uh, would write to Lewis. And he would, of course, as you know famously, he would always just write back to everyone. Everyone got a letter in return. And um, so she, uh, she has some very interesting opinions about women's roles in the church. And she not only tells about her being a pen pal, but that. And here again, we do not shy away from the subject of sex. Um, uh, Dr. Holly Ordway writes on that, and so does Dr. Michael Ward of Oxford. I believe he's at Trinity, isn't he? Isn't that right? Well, they were both delightful to deal with. I, I hate to point out some and make it seem like they anybody nobody was hard to deal with on this. In fact, everybody wanted to jump on board. I, It was a delight to just call up people and find out, oh, yes, I would love to do that. What would you like me to do? Just pick out something. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was just so nice to hear people doing that.
0: This is good to know because we've had a lot of these people on the show. And the people we haven't had on the show, I'm planning to have them on the show. So it's good to know that they're very amenable. <laughs>
1: Oh, they really, really were. I, I, I This was just the kind of project that you look back on and you think, you know, God's hand had to be on it from beginning to end because it just flowed so smoothly, and um, it really did. Um, as I've mentioned, Casey Massenti is one of the slightly lesser known people uh, that uh, she wrote on the second chapter on uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, I mean, uh, her The relationship Sayers and Lewis had was well worth two chapters. And, uh, you know, that's just one of the great data points. And then the last uh, section is on Lewis, the mentor, how his views on women impact mine. Randy Alcorn uh, did, you know, he, he speaks out a lot for women. And so he did a whole chapter on that. John Stone Street wrote on the weight of glory, and uh, Kristen Ditchfield, who has written many, many, many books, uh, a lot of them on Narnia and other Lewis related issues. And she, well, now I should say her name properly Kristen Ditchfield Lazo. And so she wrote this chapter More Than a Fairy Princess What Narnia Teaches About Being Strong, Courageous Women. And then I, I, both Mary and I did uh, beginning chapters and I did a concluding chapter and I did uh, include a few other people in that. Let me just go ahead and honor them with their names as well. There are people whose contributions are included in this, but, um, uh, you know, they've spoken out a lot on the subject or they've written books on the subject. Dr. Carol M. Swain, Randy Singer, Lancia E. Smith. David Holland of your country, by the way, and Lisa Ledry Aguilar. So, uh, and oh, and we do have uh, questions for reflection and discussion at the end so we can make, you know, a nice group study or course. Actually, as a course, I will tell you, I have had more feedback on people who've used this book as, you know, from professors who have said, I'm using your book in my class or students who have done like a master's thesis or a doctoral dissertation on this subject and of course cited the book
0: that's wonderful how do you even set about doing a project like this trying to coordinate this many people did you did you approach people asking them what they would like to talk about or did you let them <laughs> all fight it out in a massive battle royale
1: <laughs> interesting question let me think how that worked i i I did have to, uh, as I say, kind of keep them in their lanes because sometimes people would agree, yes, I'll write on that subject, but they would sort of ease over into some of the other subjects a little bit. And, um, I mean, everyone was very cooperative. I, I must tell you, that was another thing. I, 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 at one point when I realized what I had taken on and, you know, this, I, I imagined just losing friends with these people if I, if I can say you know the people like they they either were already people i knew uh, from conferences i had been to or something like that or they were new friends or whatever but no everyone actually was very amenable i mean they they caught the vision that this needed to work together and um uh, but i i did have to uh do some negotiating and that that's fine <laughs> it's part of the fun
0: so to sort of wrap things up how would you summarize it? If someone comes to you and says, I've heard these things about C.S. Lewis, that he was a sexist and misogynistic uh, kind of guy, how would you respond in two minutes?
1: Oh, my goodness. In two minutes? Oh, I hate time time frames like that. He was, you know, a man of great faith. And so naturally, his point of view is the Lord's point of view. Um, he He definitely... Was a product of his time. I mean, there's no getting around the fact that he he uh, you know grew up in the time that he did of uh, the Edwardian era and so forth. But um, he really uh, he really had a genuine friendship with many women and uh, and in his literature, when you examine it as we did in this book, you see that he treated women and girls as you know equals and uh, especially as servants in the kingdom just like himself
0: wonderful karen thank you for coming on the show today and talking to us about this project uh for those who would like to find out more about you and maybe pick up a copy of the book or the audiobook uh, where should they go
1: it's available on amazon uh as i say i've uh, I, that's where i found the audiobook was on christianbook.com not on amazon actually but it is on on both of those and uh, Barnes & Noble, you know, all of those kinds of um, publishing outlets. Um, if they want to read more about maybe the um, background of the my journey toward the long and winding road. you know, <laughs> I'm that generation. I had to say that. So uh, <laughs> I uh, would suggest maybe they go on my website and they can look at About Carolyn or another one called The Story. That's another tab which really does give... That background, oh, and a very cool thing I've got on that tab is a wonderful photo of what's called the new building that is, um, you know, where Lewis taught at um, at Oxford, at Maudlin College. And of course, that's, you know, holy ground for Lewisians like yourself and myself and all your wonderful listeners.
0: And it's new only in terms of Oxford. <laughs> it is still yeah. very old.
1: Relative, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Absolutely and that website was carolyncurtis.net. We'd like to thank all of our top-tier supporters, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. Also, if you have a woman in your life who loves scotch, why not purchase her a laser-etched Pints with Jack glass? I think she would really appreciate it. And I'd encourage everyone to share this episode on social media, particularly wherever you hear folks opining about C.S. Lewis and women. And please join us next time when we'll be going further up
1: And further in. Cheers. Cheers.